Welcome to the Frontline Gastroenterology Podcast, based on the papers, the importance of high-quality big data in the application of artificial intelligence in inflammatory bowel disease, and the paper, Artificial Intelligence and Inflammatory Bowel Disease, Practicalities and Future Prospects, published online in Frontline Gastroenterology in 2022. My name is Dr. Philip Smith. I'm the Social Media and Associate Editor of Frontline Gastroenterology and an Honorary Consultant Gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, Liverpool, United Kingdom. And I extend a very warm welcome to Dr. James Ashton. He's a Paediatric Gastroenterology Trainee at the Southampton Children's Hospital, Southampton, UK, and a Clinical Lecturer in Human Genetics and Genomic Medicine at the University of Southampton. Dr. Ashton, or hopefully you don't mind me calling you James, as we know each other quite well. Thank you for joining me today to do this podcast on this really interesting and rapidly developing area. And well done to you and your co-authors and your excellent papers. So it leads really to my first question. What is AI and machine learning? Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on behalf of sort of the team of authors to talk about these papers. And I think to answer your question, Phil, I think that the broadest terms that we can use would be artificial intelligence, which would be referring to, at its most simple, a computer receiving some sort of input, such as maybe data, images, maybe text, and then making a decision based on that data and and probably some prior knowledge and outputting a response. And that's used quite frequently in the worlds of of companies, so they might utilise artificial intelligence to predict what types of TV programmes people like to watch, so they can use artificial intelligence to target advertising towards people. But I think in terms of research, where we're at is a little bit more specifically related to machine learning. So machine learning specifically would be a contemporary branch of statistics, which is looking really for patterns in data. I think it's useful to appreciate that there are two main types of machine learning, so these could come under the the broad banners of supervised machine learning and and unsupervised machine learning. And if we think about supervised machine learning, this is when we can define the groups that we're looking for when we're utilising these machine learning algorithms. So an example might be that if we want to predict what types of music people like to listen to, we would define those music categories, maybe things like pop, rock, heavy metal, and then utilising people's listening patterns, we can predict what people like to listen to based on those predefined groups. I think on the other hand, unsupervised machine learning is where we don't define those groups. So we ask the algorithms to look for patterns in the data that we are not defining the outcomes for. So they group the individuals together on how similar they are or maybe how dissimilar they are based on the underlying data associated with each individual. So if we come back to that music analogy, rather than telling the algorithm, the different genres that we know about, we would just cluster people together based on their listening habits, and then that might define some new genres. So I think that hopefully that's a a sort of broad brush overview of what machine learning and artificial intelligence is, but it's certainly a a complex topic, and I would definitely encourage people to read a little bit more about it in the initial review that we published in Frontline. Thank you. That's uh, really clear, which really leads on to my next question about how can AI and machine learning be used in healthcare? And I think this is a really, really important question, especially for 
people like me and, and my colleagues who are interested in moving this into a more clinical field, but also I think generally to clinicians and other healthcare professionals as this does move more into a, a clinical field and understanding a little bit more about what it means and about how we can utilise artificial intelligence as an adjunct to routine clinical parameters to help with patient care. So it's, it's a huge opportunity. I think that the main topics I would look at that where we can utilise machine learning and AI in healthcare would be prediction of outcomes, so whether we can group patients together based on their clinical data or molecular data such as genetics and look at what's going to happen to them as individuals. I think the other thing that we can potentially do is discover new subgroups, so we could in the context of maybe cancer, for example, it's already possible to look at specific molecular subgroups of disease that might respond to specific treatments better or have specific clinical outcomes. I think the other thing that we can do, and certainly this is applicable in gastroenterology, is sort of image recognition and automatic reading of images. And, th and this occurs quite frequently in things like endoscopy with polyp detection, which is going to be applicable even more in the future, but also reading of things automatically like video capsule endoscopy and potentially in the future things like radiology interpretation, all potentially as adjuncts to the clinical team, but I think definitely useful tools that will be utilised in the future rather than being a complete replacement for the, uh, the clinical acumen. There'll be tools rather than replacement. Thank you again, really, Claire. So could you answer why is IBD at the forefront of the application of AI? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think inflammatory bowel disease is a perfect condition to start applying some of these techniques in. And, and that's really because there's such significant disease heterogeneity in inflammatory bowel disease. I think from a research and more basic science perspective, whilst we define these two conditions as Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, there's clearly far more genetic and probably microbial heterogeneity leading to different types of disease. And from a clinical perspective, we also know that what will happen to an individual patient is very, very difficult to predict at the point of diagnosis or even subsequently. And so I think the first thing that AI could be applied in for inflammatory bowel disease would be that disease prediction, whether we can, well, based on data, maybe clinical data, maybe genetic data, predict what will happen to an individual. So for example, which patients are going to develop specific complications such as strictures or fistulating disease, or maybe which patients are going to respond to specific types of medicines based on their underlying immune system or underlying genetic variation. But then I think the other way that we can also apply artificial intelligence in inflammatory bowel disease is again coming back to that, looking at endoscopy images or video capsule images to make the workload a bit lighter for, for interpretation of those things, but also maybe standardising it a bit more so we can uh, utilise things like artificial intelligence and machine learning models to have a standardised quick outcome to define more specifically what the disease is for a patient so then we can utilise that to predict more specifically what will happen to them and then improve their clinical outcomes in the long run, hopefully within the next sort of five to 10 years. Thank you. In your papers, you talk about data quality. Why is data quality so important? So I think that data quality is absolutely key to making machine learning work, with both within research, but also when you start applying that within the clinic. So the term garbage in, garbage out, I think is very pertinent in this context. So if you put poor quality data into a model or train a model on poor quality data, 
it's going to be uh, pretty much useless. Similarly, if you train a model on high quality data and then test it on low quality data, it's going to be pretty much useless because it looks for patterns in the data that's been trained on. So the models are really only able to learn based on what they have inputted. And if they are to be optimized to be applicable within a clinical scenario, they need to be very robust and have high quality data in order to be able to, to be applied. The, the sort of the basis and most important factor of this is that the the algorithms, the machine learning algorithms are really only looking for patterns. So they don't know what the the pattern is they're looking for often. If even if you define the the outcome, they're still looking for patterns that predicts that outcome. So if the data is systematically missing, it's biased, maybe based on who's inputting the data or where the data's coming from, then the machine learning algorithm will likely find those patterns, which are obviously irrelevant to the outcome of interest, maybe what complications an individual will have, but it'll still find that pattern. And and this is the concept of having lots of noise in the data and the, and the models overfitting, so they are finding patterns which are irrelevant to the outcome, which makes the data quality that you input, making it as standardized as possible, making it as complete as possible, absolutely key to both training and testing the models, but also, and probably most importantly, applying these in a rigorous clinical situation I think this in the future will only become more important and I think there's an opportunity at this point to start to to standardise that in order to be able to utilise these things much more widely in the future. Thank you. Again, really very clear. So where do you see the application of AI moving in the next uh, five years or so? So I would hope that we'll we'll start to see this now drift into clinical practice a bit more. We're already seeing it to a certain extent. I'll come back to that example about endoscopy where we're starting to see some more impact of automatic polyp detection and and things including reading of those video capsule endoscopies but I think in terms of impact on inflammatory bowel disease patients we'll start to see some of these models that we are now generating in the research setting moving more towards the clinic now obviously there'll need to be a lot of uh, rigorous replication of these in a sort of wide variety of different contexts including different hospitals and probably different data types. But I think that within the next five years, we should have at least some of these disease prediction models, maybe for specific complications or specific responses to treatment within a clinical setting. And this is probably going to be initially as a a tool that not everyone has available to them because there'll be some degree of being able to interpret it. But I think the other thing that we really need to be moving towards is upskilling clinicians and other healthcare professionals in the understanding of how these models are made so they can then apply them as a sort of test and a tool in their own uh, workplace. So I definitely don't see AI moving to replace clinicians, probably in the foreseeable future, because the interpretation of them is really important and the interpretation of them in the context of an individual patient and in the context of other tests is important. But they definitely will be moving to being applicable as a helpful clinical decision tool for patients. And I hope this will be in the next five years for some specific things. And I think over a longer period of time, we'll start to see these being utilised far more widely on all different types of data, really to to help patients predict what's going to happen to them and, and improve their outcomes over a longer period of time. Excellent. Well, it's uh, really exciting to see how this develops. So thank you, James, Dr. Ashton, for doing the podcast today. And congratulations on your papers and congratulations to your co-authors on the papers being published in Frontline Gastroenterology. 
To our listeners, please um, do click on the links underneath, which are the links to the papers. Um, I think they're well worth reading in addition to listening to this podcast. And of course, please do join us in the future for future episodes of the Frontline Gastroenterology Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>